Hello and welcome to the Inside Elland Road podcast from the Yorkshire Evening Post. I'm Graham Smith, Chief Football Writer. I'm joined by Joe Urquhart, as ever, one of our football writers covering the Whites. And it's the first episode of 2020, the first in a while, episode 75. Joe, would you just like to say Happy New Year to the listeners and perhaps convey an apology on behalf of uh, myself and yourself? Thanks for pushing me under that moving bus there. That's uh, much appreciated. I don't know why I'm apologising, but Happy New Year to everyone. Yeah, uh, what, we'll, we'll just gloss over the fact that it's been so long since we recorded a Seven podcast. Seven games, to be exact. Um, we could say that it was just a series of unfortunate events, um, holidays that clashed, um, Amazon deliveries to your house that, that needed to be uh, attended, um, that sounds like the worst excuse ever, doesn't it? It does sound... I mean, it sounds like I almost made it up. It does sound like... I just didn't want to meet you. Um, and what kind of human being would accept such an excuse, which doesn't reflect particularly well on me? So let's uh, quash that rumour straight away and say that that certainly wasn't the reason why we haven't recorded for... Murmurs of discontent between the <laughs> EP. <laughs> Double act, anyway. Yeah. Um, well, let's just call it a winter break and have done with it. You know, like how all the other leagues in Europe go on... A hiatus. We'll just call it a winter break. That sounds fancier. I do it does like sound fancier than me literally sitting in for Christmas presents waiting for the Amazon man. It does. Let's just admit it. Um, so since the, la- since the last time we recorded, Leeds have had their Christmas period and the wheels have not fallen off. Uh, the Christmas period was not easy, but they've emerged from it, top of the championship, on goal difference at least, from West Brom, who they, who they drew with during that period. And they're nine points clear of third place. Um, so all is relatively well as we record. And we've just had the FA Cup third round at Arsenal, which I personally believe had the perfect result for Leeds United. They lost 1-0, but they made their point uh, live on the BBC by completely outplaying and dominating a Premier League team for 45 minutes and then graciously allowing Arsenal to go through to travel to Bournemouth in the fourth round and deal with the headache, um, whereas Leeds can now fully focus on the Championship, uh, having had a nice treat, a nice mid-season treat. Um, what do you think about the result? I'm just glad we don't have to go to Bournemouth. <laughs> it's a long way for, for not a lot of reward. No. Um, small gate as well, so that so the financial benefits... And given that it probably wouldn't have been televised, the financial benefits would not have been mighty. You might even have been looking at a loss for that game financially. So to to go out in the way they did is probably just about perfect. Yeah, it, back to being actually serious. Um, it was a good performance against a strong Arsenal team for probably 50 minutes an hour, I thought. And... Um, Let's just, you know, Leeds have bigger fish to fry and that, it's simple as that. They don't need to be bogged down with an FA Cup run, in my opinion. So going there, showing, sort of making their point, as your verdict um, pointed out, um, was probably the ideal thing to do is that can they do it against Premier League teams? Um, on the face of it, yes, but it's better to try and <laughs> actually get to that level um, and 
you know, a weekend off when they're supposed to be playing Millwall might suit a couple of days rest rather than a long, long trip to Bournemouth where another distraction not needed. Obviously, Bielsa wasn't very happy at the fact they'd lost, but I think that's probably the competitive side of, of him. And maybe when he steps back, he'll look at the bigger picture as the, as the season carries on and, and think we don't need those added games. Leeds are in another great position in January and just having those few weeks off will probably do the world of good as we know the intensity they play with. So on the face of it, a very good performance made their point, so to speak, in front of, I guess, the country. What is it, six million people watching on and um, valiantly went out. I don't think Marcelo Bielsa will ever accept that, <laughs> that this was okay because he thinks in terms of performances and, and as far as he was concerned, it was not a consistent performance. It was a good first 45 minutes followed by um, a departure from what they had done so well. You know, they, they allowed the opponent to respond, was what he said. Um, so he wasn't really taking into consideration the monetary value of the opposition, the quality that was on display there, the fact that they were playing against a team from the Premier League. He was just saying in, in, in black and white terms about a performance, and that's how he views you know, games. Um, so that's why he wasn't particularly happy because he thought that Leeds United didn't do in the second half what they did in the first half. Um, so I think that one will go down as a, a a black mark against the Leeds United squad in, in his eyes. But I think everyone else will look at it and think, you know, that's fine, move on. It was a nice evening in a very grand stadium. Um, we had some nice cake. You had some nice cake. Oh, yeah, sorry, I had some nice um, cake. Odd, isn't it, that in, in the year 2020... Oh, here we go. A, a Premier League God, club... This wine, every single away game, this wine comes up. A Premier League club would not cater for those who, who simply cannot and will not eat dairy products. <laughs> this is literally the same conversation. Right, so on a match day, I'll pick you up, or you'll pick <laughs> me up, or whatever, and we'll get in the car and we'll go... I wonder what the food's like today. And then you'll have this, I wonder if they'll have a dairy option. We have this conversation every game. And then when we get there, it's the same. They don't have any dairy options. <laughs> What's going on? I'll go get a burger from the van or whatever. Yeah, it's chips it's for Graham again. Yeah, it's literally the same. It's like almost like Bielsa turning up with the same 11 every week. It's the same conversation. It's going into madness. Anyway, sorry. But, but going away from that routine would feel alien and unfamiliar. And this is all, <laughs> this is all I know. Just like Marcelo, this is all I know, that conversation. Um, but fair play to Arsenal for uh, an unbelievable array of facilities, um, a technical support team within the press room. Yeah. It, it very much was a case of how the other half live. And um, Didn't you feel a bit weird? A little bit like a tourist. No, I don't know. It's just like, is this what we have to come? You know what I mean? That kind of like... Is, is this, this entirely necessary? Yeah, is this, is this <laughs> it? Like, I just felt... You know... Not out of place because, well, no, I did feel out of place. You did, yeah, and you looked, and you looked out of place as well. So, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, I've completely forgotten what you're saying after that. Put you're you're going to say, is my this, confidence is, is shot. Is this what we've got to look forward to? And I think the answer is yes. Well, it, no, I just mean like the gen, the whole thing was just literally it was like um, a university wing. You know, like if you were going to study journalism, it was like press conference room was like a lecture theatre. It was insane. The food was ridiculous, like a cafeteria, and it was just you had like your own booths, didn't you, to work in afterwards. It just all felt very big time. But I don't know. It was like, is this the modern football way? <laughs> Take me back to Kenilworth Road where I'm sat on some plank of wood. Like. 
Yeah, there's there's definitely I've said it before. There's definitely a charm to Kenilworth Road, um, which is is not much longer for this world, is yeah, it? Modern the, football again after the news. But um, Arsenal was a different different kettle of fish. Um, lots of big names from the world of journalism wandering around the press room, um, and it felt almost fitting that Marcelo Bielsa came and sat in a lecture theatre style room um, to deliver his analysis on the game, and and it's. It's been a bit of a feature that I've enjoyed this season that whenever national newspaper journalists or national broadcasters um, are treated to a Bielsa press conference, the the grumbling that goes on afterwards that there was no obvious headline, that, that Bielsa did not deliver the golden, you know, catchy quote that they can hang their, their story on. And, and for us who deal with it every week, you know, it's, it's, not, it's no longer a surprise. You're not going to get him to make a definitive statement like we are now ready for the Premier League or we've proved tonight that we belong in the Premier League. He doesn't. That's not how he works. Yeah. What what he will say is what he did say is that it's a hypothesis that we cannot uh, <laughs> know because we don't know that it's going to happen. He even brought up the 4-0 defeat to Manchester United in pre-season um, in saying that you cannot say if Leeds United are ready or not ready for the Premier League yet. Um, and... and you can just see hearts breaking across the the press conference as people realise that their their back page ideas um, have died. It's I think was it I can't remember if it was a Mirror journalist, um, but someone asked about the VAR incident with Lacazette, and I'm obviously I'm sure everyone's seen it, and we're just sat there going, "What is the point in asking this question? <laughs> he's not going to say anything. I can tell you the answer now, and so I let him go, and I'll tell you what he's going to say." Like, I do not criticise referees. Referees have the toughest job in football. We can't make an assumption we should have won the game without any refereeing decisions. That is literally what he says every time. There is, so it's got to the point where there's literally no point in asking the same question. I suppose, though, with VAR, there was, there was a chance that... That was a stupid decision, by the way. There was on. a chance, because it was VAR, that he might, he might comment on it because it was VAR for the first time. But what, what he said was a very Bielsa thing to say, which was... It, it would be better for the opponent not to have a man sent off because he prefers to play against 11 men. But also, his, he was obviously asked about VAR in the, pre, uh, the pre-match press conference as well, and he just said the most Bielsa thing ever. It's like, I basically prefer whatever the referees prefer. If the referees prefer to have it, then yes. If the referees prefer not to have it, then I agree with them. That's literally what he says all the time. It would be a nightmare, wouldn't it, if he was coming over and you were getting takeout? Because it would just be, you get whatever you get, whatever you like, and and then and you would say no. What would you like? And what he would say would be, I do not work on the assumption. And he would say, you know, I like Indian food, but you must take into account this is only my opinion, and my opinion might not be correct. And reflective of the whole room. And and then, <laughs> what is your opinion? See, that's what he does. He reflects it back to you because he asked you. I can't remember which game it was, but he asked you your opinion. It was at home, and. I don't think they won. Preston, Boxing Day. Yes. yes I and I asked if he felt... I just wanted him to say that he felt they deserved to win. Uh, and instead, he said, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, hot shot? <laughs> That's when your heart starts to, to, to race a little more. Well, yeah, because imagine if you said the wrong thing and he went, well, I don't agree with that. Thankfully, yeah, it's that's not, not it's, happened yet. It's not so much that I would... Um, I mean, my opinion's my opinion. And... Uh, it would still be my opinion if Marcelo Bielsa disagreed with it. And I, to be I would, fair, he would respect your opinion. I would just feel like, well, now I need to go away and think about, think, about, it, yeah. think about what I've done. And generally your approach to life. And, and thousands of Leeds fans would post the 
the crying laughing emoji uh, in response on Twitter. So I'd have that to deal with. Um, but it hasn't happened yet, and uh, touch wood, it won't happen. Let's talk about the Arsenal game itself and the, the little talking points that we had there. Debuts for Ilan Meslier, uh, French under 20 and under, 20, under 21 goalkeeper, I believe. No, no, I think he's been though. called up for the 21s. I'm sure he has. Uh, I should know this. Made his Leeds United debut, uh, as did the perennial nearly man, Robbie Gotts, who prior to the FA Cup third round game at the Emirates, had been named on a team sheet 35 times without playing a single minute of first team action. And credit to him for maintaining, uh, by all accounts, a great attitude throughout what must have been a testing and frustrating time, watching his friends and peers and people younger than him getting their opportunities, getting some first team minutes. You know, Pascal Struick, Ollie Casey, Jordan Stevens. Players like that have, have come in and played for Marcelo Bielsa during the time that Robbie Gotts has, has been waiting, playing the waiting game. But still he's, he's trusted that what he's being told at Thorpe Arch, that all the positive feedback he gets from the staff and from Bielsa, that he trusted that they were good to their word and stuck in there. And, and what a reward to walk out at the Emirates in front of 58,000, whatever it was, and a TV audience of upwards of 6 million. Um, that is some payback. And to hold his own against the likes of Ozil and Pepe and Lacazette and other people like that, David Luiz. You know, he didn't look out of place in the first 45 minutes, which is full credit to him and the ability that he has, but also the fact that he's been coached into a role that he, he knows inside out, whether that's the 23s or the first team in training. He's um, he's very much someone who is, has been crafted and, and sort of moulded into something that Bielsa wants because when he first started with the 23s, he was a right-back and he's been moved very similar to sort of Jamie Shackleton. has now got two jobs um, in the squad and, yeah, just... A, a proud day for him, a proud day for everyone who's helped along the way and his family who were obviously obviously there. And uh, in true Bielsa style, as soon as he got home in the early hours of the morning, he watched the game back, um, which is something that his, his head coach uh, would be very proud of. Um, and I think Gotts has plenty to be proud of in that performance because he, uh, yeah, he certainly didn't look out of place. Uh, nor did Ilan Meslier, whose distribution was superb, made a lot of saves, um, probably calmed a lot of nerves in the Leeds United fan base about this potential ban for Kiko Casilla. And we should say on that that I've spoken to the FA today and they cannot yet provide an update or a time frame on when that will be dealt with. But given the fact that we're in January, we're well into January, and there's still likely to be an appeal, it's going to rumble on and hang over him and hang over Leeds for some time. So it was very reassuring that the backup goalkeeper who's very, very young, untested in this country, only played under-23s football in England, has come in and done such a good job. Did he do what you've seen him do already in the 23s? Um, Distribution-wise, certainly. I think um, his ability with his feet has always been fairly clear whenever you watch him um, because obviously the 23s try and play a very, very similar style to the, the first 11, but... I think in terms of sort of his shot stopping and stuff, that was maybe one of the question marks that I would probably have had. Not because <laughs> he doesn't have that ability, but because he's maybe not been tested as much uh, at professional development league level as he will have been or would be. 
Um, and what are you doing there? <laughs> I, wa- I, I was listening. I was just trying to look something up on my phone. And Unbelievable. It, and it, and it auto- I was fully in my Meslier spiel. <laughs> it, it auto-played a video, which is just the worst thing about the internet. Sorry, carry on. No, I think you're the worst thing about the internet. <laughs> Meslier, what was I talking about? The shot-stopping ability. Um, I've completely, you've completely threatened. You might as well just push me out this window. I've completely forgotten what I was talking about. Um, no, he hasn't been tested as, as often enough um, in terms of... Because because the 23 defence is so good um, in the last few months and basically haven't lost since you watched them uh, at Derby. <laughs> Sorry. Just getting that dig in there. Um, that, that was maybe the one question mark I had over his abilities, but I think he showed that he does have that in his locker and would be an, a fine deputy, I think. And I think if Leeds could... Obviously, over Christmas, the defensive record sort of faltered quite dramatically compared to what we saw in the first half of the season. But I think if Leeds were to get back to that, it actually showed that maybe... I mean, we joked on one of the podcasts that we did several moons ago that it would even be a possibility for Bielsa to not play Kiko Kassia. <laughs> but that, like, genuinely, if Leeds get back to being that good, solid and that sort of have that base at the back four, he'll only be needed to do the very minimum action, if you see what I mean. So... That's not to say that he couldn't be required to make these saves or whatever, but I think it's not as like he's being thrust into a team that's conceding two goals on average a game. He's got a chance to really come in and, and sort of build his confidence up in a, in a defence that's one of the best in the division. So let's move on then to... If it happens, obviously. Sorry, if it happens, obviously. Let's move on then to transfer talk. Um, and this is the part of the podcast that... Uh, EFL Transfer Zone 24-7 news will be... Uh, chun- How did you find my we'll, website? <laughs> ...will be tuning into most closely so they can turn it into headlines. Um, Shea Adams is Leeds United's number one target for that striker role that they have, the vacancy left by Eddie and Kedia. Um, I, I wouldn't so much term it as a backup to Patrick Bamford, but let's be honest, Bamford is... Um, is on is in the hot seat right now, and he shows no sign of leaving it. So whoever's going to come in is going to have to unseat him. Leeds believe that Shea Adams is a realistic target, is an ideal candidate. I would even go so far as to say, with no disrespect to Enkelia whatsoever, who's going to go on and have a glittering career, I'm sure of it, that Leeds would be in a better position with Shea Adams in the squad than they were with Eddie Enkelia in the squad because of the style of player he is and the hold-up player he's capable of. Um, and, of course, he's a finisher as well, in the, in, in the same way that Nketiah is. I think he's almost a better fit. Yeah, and I would agree with that, not to sit and be an echo chamber in here, but I think um, his general work rate will be, or probably be... Not that this, this isn't... This is the thing. Not that I'm digging out Nketiah, because I thought Nketiah's work rate was very good, but I think it more plays to Trey Adams' strength the way that Bielsa plays rather than Nketiah's. I think Nketiah is a, a, a natural finisher and the goal that we saw them score at Fulham, for example, where Alioski plays him in behind, he basically uses five yards of pace, drills that ball across, obviously falls back to Bamford. But I feel like that is more his strength, whereas Bamford and, and Che Adams of those sort of mould striker, or that mould of striker is more, they're willing to sort of run, hold the ball up, do a bit more graft, maybe drop into midfield on occasion to, to relieve pressure and things like that. Like you say, Enketier is absolutely going to be a top-class striker wherever he ends up, whether it's at Arsenal or, or elsewhere. But I feel like Adams, like you say, the, the way that Leeds play with the one up front, with the supporting midfielders, 
is is has far more strengths for the, the the first eleven than maybe Enketia had. So there is the potential to actually come out, which is a really weird thing to say because in mid December you'd have been thinking this is a massive blow. It's obviously a massive if, but they can get that one over the line. You'd be fairly confident about them, whether it's you know because if Bamford gets injured in mid February and is out for a month, to have someone of his ability who's proven at Championship level is a massive massive thing. Yeah, twenty two goals in the Championship last season for Shea Adams. Um, I remember him playing for Ilkeston uh, against Worksop and getting sent off within what? like the first fifteen minutes. Okay, don't go for him. Send him back. <laughs> um, what was it? What did he do? He elbowed elbow. elbowed Jake Scott, uh, who was on loan from Barnsley. To, what division was that? Northern Premier. See, you have to like. I always look at that as like sort of like the like like similar to the Scottish lower division leagues, where you pretty much have to get like a shotgun out and shoot someone to get sent off. Yeah, the referee so didn't. Fairly... The referee didn't see it, but the linesman saw it, uh, and I was like three or four yards from it. I saw it, and I was enraged. Uh, <laughs> Were you physically angered, um, <laughs> shaking? But, but he he was he was very very good at Ilkeston. You know, obviously far too good for that level. Eventually got his chance with Sheffield United, and then decided to to move on to pastures new. Um, obviously, Sheffield United continued to rise, and, and maybe had he stayed there, he would have played a big part in that. But he was always destined for big, big things. Got this fifteen million pound, or so we believe, moved to Southampton, but he hasn't scored a goal yet for Southampton. And, and while the Southampton manager is on record as saying they're not going to let him go out on loan, um, Leeds obviously believe there's still something in it because they're still pursuing him. They must still believe there's a possibility there. It would be interesting to see if Southampton would be more willing to do a loan-to-buy deal than a loan. Um, but we'll have to wait and see on that front. I think it's very much one that's still up in the air. But the difference, I think, between this number one target and last January's number one target is that it's not an all-the-eggs-in-one-basket scenario because last January, the Dan James transfer was... It was on until all of a sudden it was off and Leeds couldn't get them Swansea on the phone and the deadline passed and he was still a Swansea player. Um, Leeds are trying desperately to avoid that scenario so they're trying to get things done earlier but they're also working on alternative options and, and trying to get things lined up so that if plan A doesn't work there's a plan B because they know that they cannot leave January without another striker on the books. Um, Billy Sharp is another one that's been considered uh, at Sheffield United. Chris Wilder has pretty much intimated that if Billy Sharp came to him and said, I want to leave, he could leave. Now, whether Billy Sharp, you know, a Sheffield United legend, wants to go into his manager's office and say, I want to leave, is another thing. But he's not getting a lot of game time in the Premier League. Everyone knows he can do it in the Championship, like he did last season with Sheffield United he would be another one that Leeds might consider, um, I think, if they couldn't get Shea Adams. Yeah, and obviously someone who's been at the football club and um, would probably naturally sway for a move that would probably require him not to move house. So there is also some of that family aspect as well. But another striker who's proven at this level, um, whether you think he naturally fits into Bielsa's team or not, you can't argue with the goals, um, which is maybe <laughs> something that completely contradicts the fact that you had Nketiah, but that was a decision that was taken out of Leeds' hands. So I think he would still have that work rate that Leeds would need. Um, 
and a maybe slightly different player to, to Bamford, but one that would certainly have qualities that would, I think, shine in, in that sort of single role up front. Yeah, let's put to bed this this uh, feeling that he wouldn't be fit enough no, for, for Bielsa. Now, I'm not saying that he would walk into Thorpe Arts and Bielsa would say, you are match fit to play in my team, because, because only Bielsa can decide that. But he plays for Chris Wilder, and Chris Wilder beasts his players as much as anyone beasts their players. Chris Wilder wants his team to, to fight and to run and to press and to sprint. Um, and and it, it, it feels a little lazy to me to, to kind of bring up this feeling that, that he was once maybe out of, and, he, and he once was maybe a bit out of shape and not in his tip-top condition. But that's years ago. That is years ago. And, and he's not that player anymore and the reason he scored so many goals for Sheffield United is because he has been trusted by Wilder and Wilder wants fit players ergo he's been fit for the last few years that's not going to have changed no I think that fat lad from Sheffield um, tag is very lazy um, for someone that has scored so many goals and someone that showed the fitness that he did I mean look at his work rate last year at Ellen Road alone um, in that game that Sheffield United won he ran his socks off pressing Leeds. Leeds had a, pretty much all the ball that afternoon, but then he's there sprinting through to, to set the goal up and, and obviously to get Casillas sent off. So I don't think that's anything that you can, can throw at him. He would absolutely be fit enough, like say, whether Bielsa would think he was fit enough to start straight away, but it wouldn't take much, I don't think, for him to get to that level that Bielsa would require. But n- many footballers should be a, a, a good standard anyway. That's an that's a re- easy requirement. And we also believe Leeds, another of Leeds' options is playing on the continent, um, or at least based on the continent, and has international goals on his CV, currently nameless. Um, if we get a name, we'll bring it to you. Um, I wonder if someone like Scott Hogan might be a wild card, given that he looks likely to be sent back, uh, or recalled at least by Villa from Stoke, not really getting a look in at Stoke. Um, what do you know of him? Um, not much. I know he scored lots of goals at Brentford. I think Leeds maybe had a sniff around him when he was at Brentford initially, but probably again um, fits similar to more similar to to the Billy Sharp mould of of being sort of small, stocky, but can can certainly hold his own lead in the line. And seems like he's sort of last few years has faltered, but certainly knows where the back of the net is. Be an odd one though, wouldn't it? That if he wasn't getting in the Stoke team. To suddenly come to Leeds, yeah, but you don't. It's weird, isn't it? You don't know what's going on there. Whether he's happy with with the situation or the environment, whether because we've seen it. How many times have we seen players struggle at football clubs in the environment or the training, or they don't get on with the manager, and then two months later they'll they'll have a transfer, they'll get up to speed with a new, and then suddenly they're, they're banging goals in. It's it's really weird, isn't it? I mean, we were laughing earlier um, at how good or how well Owen Doyle's been doing for Swindon in, in League One and Bradford have recalled him and now he's got to go back to Bradford and, and try and score goals there. But I think he initially wasn't very happy in that environment, but I think what he scored like 13 games on the bounce or something crazy. Something crazy, yeah. So it's just weird, isn't it, how different players thrive under different managers or in different environments. It's not that maybe suddenly their, their lack of quality is there. It's Sometimes it's the situations they're in or the environment they're working in. Yeah, so Leeds are also um, close to getting a winger in who's um, based in this country 
um, unsure on names as yet. Like like I said before, if we get the name, we'll bring it to you. But that one sounds quite close. They're expecting to get it done. They're also very close to getting a goalkeeper uh, in a young Italian uh, under-18 international goalkeeper who um, I think is quite highly thought of and would uh, tuck in uh, under Ilan Meslier in the pecking order um, and might see some time on the bench uh, should Kiko Casilla find himself banned from football. Um, and I think those three would, you know, th- with a striker included, I think those three would probably wrap up what Leeds United want to do in January. They are looking at bringing in a couple of younger end strikers, you know, for the 18s and 23s to develop. Um, but they they wouldn't be seen as coming in to contend for the first team straight away. Um, I think they're looking at European based players for those roles. Um, but that would be their major. January business, um, unless of course something goes drastically wrong between now and the end of January. Um, I think largely Bielsa will feel he has adequate cover in most positions. Um, the one question mark I think for everyone looking on, um, and this is more coming from an outside perspective, is when will we see Adam Forshaw again? And Bielsa obviously feels like he can play Dallas in midfield. He played Robbie Gotts in midfield. He can play Shackleton in midfield. Um, but I really think they've missed Forshaw and the control and the consistency he has in that role. Yeah, I'd agree with that as well because I think we've seen it a few times. Um, I think the biggest standout one for me is the Cardiff game at Ellen Road where obviously 3-0 up. Sounds ridiculous because you shouldn't throw a three-goal lead away. But when that starts turning, you don't have that sort of maybe someone who you can put alongside Phillips, not in the conventional sense of the formation, but someone who is can slot in where the click is, for example. But then when the other team is attacking, can sort of drop in where and, and throw his body about, win the ball back, give it simple. Didn't really have that option on the bench. Shackleton's obviously injury has maybe added to that absence because he's a very similar player and sort of Rottweilery or whatever you want to call it chasing players down and it's just been a double whammy almost to feel like with them two both at the same time um, really unlucky for Jamie to get injured when he did because when Adam gets out that's a real opportunity for him to come in and stamp his authority and then never never you know sort of everything sort of happened at once with that and then you end up having Pascal Struick who comes on and is maybe not a bit nervous, but maybe out caught our position because he's a bit, you know, I think he ran into Ben White at one point, didn't he? In that twice. Area. Twice. Oh, there you go, twice. You've done your research. Um, I tried to blank that second half out, yeah. to be fair. Um, but yeah, so I think there has been times in games where maybe they've missed an option from the bench or him starting either way you want to put it, but there has been definitely an absence of that, um, that midfielder, whether it's Shackleton or Forshaw, certainly, that they've missed of where Bielsa can throw on and, and think, right, we can get an element of control back in this period. So it is just a bit of a worry that he's still not back because what he was initially ruled out for two weeks and three and a half months, four months later, whatever, we're still sat waiting for him to, to reappear. And every time we ask, it's a, it's the same answer. Yeah, Bielsa does I don't think Bielsa particularly likes to talk about mm. injured players in general, but I think it's one that probably rankles with him quite a lot because I know that Forshaw is a player he really admires and, and really likes and values. Um, I think all, all we can say on Forshaw is that Leeds are still ho- very hopeful of seeing him soon. 
Um, and obviously every effort is being made, as Bale says, has said, by the medical staff and by Forshaw himself to get himself into a position where he can play again. But the longer it goes on, it just it feels like there's a mystery around it or, or there's something not quite right with it. That's the impression that people get when you're not really getting forthright, detailed updates on it. Um, so it's another wait and see on that. But that that's just one that just leaves you with a question mark. You know, if... If there's no sign of Forshaw coming back, do they need to act? Um, maybe they've seen enough to suggest that Forshaw will be back, and, and that's not an area of concern. But as I said, it's one to, to monitor. And, and a transfer window can often change, and a team's um, the tack can change quite quickly, depending on what happens. Um, but I think, like I said, Leeds will be hoping that the goalkeeper, the winger, and the striker would complete what they want to do. And I think they'll hope to get it done all in very good time so that there's not... It would be nice, wouldn't it, to not have any drama on uh, January the 31st? Yes, especially after last year when we were sat in here at midnight going, what is happening? <laughs> you know, Daniel James was obviously here and in the building and that was just crazy. And then obviously when you watch the documentary, you see even more that just how ridiculous that whole thing unfolded. And obviously the club were criticised um, for what they did. And part of it was rightly so, because there was a bit of, you know, hangering over the, the price and everything else. But at the same time, I think Orta said that line, didn't he? Why would you have a plan B when plan A is sat in, in the stadium? So there was an element of sympathy in that. And Swansea had their own things going on. So you just hope that they, they learn a little bit from, from that experience last year and get the business done as early as pos as they possibly can and don't hang about on on targets who it, it you know if they get stuck on won't won't focus on trying to concentrate on doing that too much and hopefully they can they can get what Bielsa wants because we all know that Bielsa wants a certain amount in his squad and if you're coming in you'll have to be up to a certain fitness level um to be to be included because by the time you know if someone comes in on a final day or whatever and it takes them four or five weeks to get up to that level. You're talking into the real nitty-gritty of the promotion race. So you just hope who they get in will have the, the fitness level required and can hopefully enhance the first 11, like Bielsa keeps saying. Let's talk about that promotion race then, because we're back to Porridge this weekend with the visit to Elland Road of uh, the Monk and Sheffield Wednesday. Um, now, Wednesday are one of those teams that will be hopeful of finishing in the playoffs or better. Um, obviously potential points deductions pending um, be very unlucky wouldn't it for Gary Monk to be involved in, in another club that got, got punished in the same way almost like it follows him around it's, it's very it, odd it's um, yeah just desperately frustrating I'm sure for for a manager to be involved in that kind of thing when that, there's, and, and all the speculation cannot be helping Sheffield Wednesday um, and, I, and I wonder as well, would it have an impact on, on transfer targets? I, I don't think they're expecting to do a lot. I don't think they can do a lot financially, but I think they'd probably be looking at loans. But um, if you were a player with a lot of ambition, say an Eddie in Kedia, for example, and there was a Bristol City and a Sheffield Wednesday, and one team has a sword of Damocles hanging over them from everything we're hearing, and another team does not, would it sway you, you know, to go to the team that, doesn't have a potential points deduction coming. If one of the teams was managed by Lee Johnson, <laughs> then I would very much go to the other team. 
Is that a clear enough answer? <laughs> that clears it up nicely. Um, so Leeds, as we said, are top of the championship on the merit of goal difference, but they have a nine-point cushion to third place. Um, it's funny, in the press room at Arsenal on Monday night, a broadcaster who, who will remain nameless, Name uh, not, not, Name from, not from this parish, uh, was asking about Leeds and also I can't believe you're not going to name it. Offering opinions on on Leeds and and contended with my statement that Leeds had dominated the championship this season, um, and and he he disagreed. Now, now what I base that on is that in almost every single match they've played in the championship, they have created ample opportunities to win. And had they taken those chances, they would be streets ahead of of West Brom by now. As it stands. There's still nine points ahead of third place, and an awful lot has to go wrong for Leeds, and an awful lot of consistency has to take place elsewhere for that situation to change. I think they've been dominant. I think they and West Brom have been dominant, and that's why they're nine points clear. Now, what I think might be the saving grace for Leeds if they do have a wobble or if the wheels start to come off is that nobody else has any claim to consistency this season. The results that happen in this division are unbelievable. Every week we have a game where you'll turn to me, you know, at, at 20 to 5 and say, you know, crikey Moses. Well, you might not say that, but you'll say... <laughs> I don't think I've ever said that. You'll say, golly gosh, look, you know, they've scored two late goals. Two phrases I've never said. Um, and, I take uh, your point, though. And, and, and gosh darn it. And, and, and you'll be surprised. Because... It's am so I, top. Am I in a comic? It's so, are you from a 1950s family <laughs> sitcom? They're, they're just so inconsistent in this division. But it's the, the league throws up some ridiculous results and Leeds have been part of that over Christmas. The 3-3 at Cardiff, obviously, but the 5-4 at Birmingham, you could even say Wednesday on Boxing Day, um, 1-0 up what, when the added time board goes up and lose 2-1 at Stoke. It's just the, the ridiculousness of, of the division, I guess. So almost, I mean, we were asked to make our predictions um, in the new year for the championship and basically the whole piece I wrote was just drivel about how the hell are you supposed to predict this division because where do you even start? You, you look at QPR scoring six goals against Cardiff who are who at the time were two points above them or two positions above them. And had just recently fought back from 3-0 down at Leeds United to draw 3-3. Yeah, but that was a freak game. Um, but they're all, that's, but that's the point. That's what I mean, it adds it in. They're all it? freak games. But that, like the only thing that's consistent with the championship is that it's inconsistent. It's just absolutely nuts. It's a back-crazy league. I stopped myself swearing there, I'm really happy. Um, <laughs> but it's just, it's just mental. So that's why... There's an element of Leeds can't count their chickens, but also that there is a sort of underlying confidence in that the rest of the teams are all going to keep beating each other. And we can keep saying that, but they do need to have a solid January and then maybe a bit more weight can be put behind it. But we have all, I think, generally learnt the lessons of last year in not getting carried away. Let's get completely carried away no, and not. just say, say that it's done and dusted. Uh, let's, no, you can't say that. I'm not going to say that. I was just joking. No, you uh, just if, said it. <laughs> if a team were to put together the kind of run that would put Leeds and West Brom under a lot of pressure and strain, would it be Brentford? Uh, well, at the moment, you'd say yes, because they look like the best of the chasing pack. But then in two weeks, like we just 
talked about there, it might be someone else because then they might have gone. Like they, I think they got beat at Millwall, for example. Only good teams get beat at Millwall, so it's you know, it's yeah. hard to know because to be fair to Sheffield United, they were at this point starting to show the the form, but you have to go and do it. And I think at the end of the end of the season, you just had to hold your hands up and go. When you looked at the form that they had was absolutely insane and you go well fair enough Leeds had some they lost a lot of the big games they lost a lot of the crucial games barring maybe West Brom in the second half of the season were very lucky at times I think I always look back at the there was a shot from Tyler Roberts in the first half I think it was no it might have even been the second half against Sheffield United where he, he crashed the post I think Radrizani even spoke about this and then 10 minutes later Sheffield United went and scored Casilla got sent off and it all sort of unravelled after that. Or it seemed to feel like it unravelled after that. And But it's like a matter of inches, like six inches to the left, Leeds take the lead. The season goes in a different way. Or maybe they still lose the game, but it always feels like there's pivotal moments in seasons. Or there's in, it's always a matter of inches in football, it feels like. And there's little moments where you think, over Christmas, where you start to think, wow, this is starting to go the right way. But then you go, well, hold on a minute. Last year, they came back from two goals down at Villa, on basically Christmas Eve or 23rd or whatever it was and then on Boxing Day they came back and scored twice in injury time and then you th- last year you was thinking well actually this time last year I was thinking very much the same thing so it's like you can't get carried away just So can't. what we're saying is not that it's done and dusted but that you're never more than six inches away from complete disaster We lead United absolutely it always feels like that and that's not to say that it is at the moment I just feel like it, it always is with this football club <laughs> It feels like there's something round the corner waiting to to knock off stride, whether that's an injury or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. And I I don't feel like that's maybe something that Andrea Radrazani has quite, like, grasped and and understood because there was that tweet, wasn't there, around the Christmas period where he was essentially, you know, asking for faith, more faith from, from the kind of more pessimistic section of fans. I don't get that because, in my opinion... Leeds fans are some of the most loyal and patient. Maybe not patient is loose, loosely patient. <laughs> patient is doing but a lot of heavy of, lifting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what I mean is, I don't think it takes much for this the fans in this city to rally behind this team, if that makes sense. And I think the last thing you want to be doing is preaching to the fans for some faith, because they'll just immediately go, "Well, you show us." it back then and yeah, buy I, as a striker in January. I think, I think it's simple, you know. A lot of the responses to, to every one of his tweets is, is buy a striker, but mm. I think Square Ball responded with, with quite a well-put-together tweet, um, potentially from the fair fingers of YUP columnist uh, Daniel Chapman, a.k.a. Moscow White, um, that you've got to understand what this fan base has been through to understand why... Um, you know, faith is such a difficult thing because faith is the belief in something unseen. And what Leeds haven't seen is a return to the Premier League. What they have seen is quite a lot of failure. And and last season, as as glorious as a lot of it must have been to behold, ultimately did not end in success. So they're not there yet. And I think there I think there's a massive belief among the fan base that this will be the year, but there's always seems to be tinged with fear and worry. And it doesn't take a lot for panic to set in, which is perhaps why, as a club, they drew that game against Birmingham because when, or sorry, Cardiff, because when one goal went in, everyone thinks, oh, here we go. 
and it's audible and it's tangible and the players feel it and Bielsa feels it, everyone feels it and all of a sudden the nerve goes and it's 3-3. Maybe it just takes a bit more of a collective um, resolve to not let those that fear and anxiety come out during games in sticky moments. But you could also argue that it's up down to the players to to show the fans what they need to see so they'll believe that this really is it. Yeah, and you're probably in a better position than a lot of us to judge that feeling, if that makes sense, because you didn't have last year. You weren't here. Not not I'm saying that's a bad thing, I'm just saying you weren't <laughs> you physically weren't you here. You weren't here. <laughs> but you weren't watching or you didn't see the, the the season unfold like we all did watching on every week you you might be better placed to to take a step back and have that judgment because for example the Cardiff throwing away three goal lead in half an hour all I came away thinking was bloody hell that was literally like Derby or like the shambolic defending at Derby and it just the same feeling sort of started to set in whereas you might have gone well what the hell happened there Whereas I went immediately to that derby game, I'm literally probably sure that a lot of Leeds fans will immediately gone, it's happening again, it's happening again, run away, you know. So maybe there's you're a better judge of of that because in isolation you just go, well, it's a championship, it's nuts. But given that something so it's still so raw from last season, a lot of Leeds fans transferred. I think that feeling from the derby game back to that Cardiff game went bloody hell, not again. But on isolation, I still think they're a better team than last year. Yeah, I'd just make two points. One is that we should say, and it's fair to point out, that Andrea Radrazani gets a lot of backing from the fan base, yeah, yeah. from a lot of the fan base, and rightly so, because he, is, he has transformed the club. And He's the best owner they've had for a long, long time. Exactly. Um, and that will, that will be remembered. Now, in, in 15 years' time, fans will look back and probably reflect on how good he was for the club commercially, but... The first thing that springs to people's minds won't be, do you remember how many shirts we sold that season? Or do you remember you know, how our revenue went through the roof? What they'll remember is whether they went up or not. And that is ultimately what he'll be remembered for. And what he wants to be remembered for is to be the owner that finally took them up. What I'd say on the fan base, and I've had a few tweets from people saying, you know, all these plaudits are all well and good, or, or fan, you know, all these, all these words and praise, it means nothing if we don't go up this season. I'd also say... You have to let yourself in, enjoy this. Like, if it doesn't happen this season, if disaster befalls Leeds United and Marcelo Bielsa goes, he will be missed and his football will be missed unless in, unless Leeds United manage to replace him with somebody who does exactly the same thing, which which feels unlikely. You have to remember as well that what you're seeing is better than what the vast majority of football supporters in this country are saying. I've come from covering a club where people didn't show up to the home games with the level of expectancy that Leeds United fans have. Because Leeds fans can go to Elland Road expecting good football, expecting that they might well win, that they've certainly got every chance of winning, and that their team is going to fight for absolutely everything. I've come from a club where fans went to games dreading the game because they knew they were going to get pumped. But it's not that long since that was the case at Elland Road. I won't name anyone or any people, but I know for a fact that there was a lot of people at Elm Road that would go to the game because it meant they saw their mates on a Saturday and they went to the pub and it was nice to have a catch-up. And they went, oh, crap, now we've actually got to go with some football. It's flipped. 
I know a lot of people that want to go and watch sober as well. Sober is the key thing there. <laughs> they want to turn up to Elite Ellen Road sober. Like, so they can remember it. Well, that's the thing. And it's like almost like that, that thing of the fact that they're sober means they'll get hurt more. <laughs> the but, alcohol drains away the pain. But you have, to, you have to let yourself enjoy it as well. Absolutely. But the problem is that carrot at the end of the tunnel, I'm speaking from a Leeds perspective. The carrot at the end of the tunnel? That thing, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting carried away. <laughs> Not to mix your metaphors. The light at the end of the stick. The carrot at the end of the stick um, is so. It, it's so the desperation for that is so much that I don't think a lot of Leeds fans will enjoy it until, until the end of the season when it's there. But if you can't Does enjoy it now, sense? will you? Will you enjoy it in the Premier League when? I think that it'll, the, it'll be more enjoyable. I think you see games like Cardiff, where. They concede once, the anxiety of Ellen Road, the fans sort of transfers onto the pitch. Two goals are conceded, it's a draw. If they concede a goal, if they're 3-0 up at home in the Premier League and they concede a goal, I don't think the feeling's the same because they've achieved that thing that they're so desperate to achieve at the end of it, if you see what I mean. Uh, yeah. Am I explaining myself in any... No, no, <laughs> I think we've, we've what we've... We've gone into a realm that, that where there's no real absolutes because it's about people's feelings and everyone's different. And now I'm making up um, and you and you're making up metaphors. <laughs> the carrot at the um, end. Of the t- I'm actually going to use that. And you you don't sound sober, which is which is a problem. But I think I I just feel like life's very short. Enjoy your football, particularly when some of the football, like the first half on Monday night, was was a goal shy of perfection, because. It had everything you'd want to see from your foot. If my football team That's played like that, you've just made a really good. You've just made my point though. The game at Arsenal next year, you wouldn't feel like we're lucky to be there, but you wouldn't come away feeling like the desperation mode of a yeah. You know, like we should have won that game, blah blah. Because you're where you belong. You're in the Premier League. Yeah, I think that was my point. I've just not explained it very well at all. Mm. I'm sure people will point this out to me. I think what Monday night just to finish. I think what Monday night also showed, or what should have showed to a lot of people, is that whilst Leeds United's desired destination is the Premier League, it it shouldn't be just to achieve a return to the Premier League and enjoy it for one season. Leeds United is the kind of club that when they get to the Premier League, they should be trying to compete and should try and and should be there to stay in the Premier League because they're they are that size of a club. The, the scale of the travelling support. The fact that they sell out all their home games, the fans all around the world, just the the bigness of the club, even the fact that Jamie Lannister's going on the BBC, you know, spouting poems about Leeds United, having grown up, you know, in in Scandinavia or Winterfell or wherever. Um, but it's it's a big club. It's a it is a Premier League club in in waiting waiting to return to the Premier League, and that the mentality when they go up shouldn't just be. We're back in the Premier League. Celebrate! It should be we're back in the in the Premier League now. Let's stay in the Premier League and and become the club that they probably always should have been. Yeah, I don't, I don't think having a head coach like Marcelo Bielsa that would happen. I think he would then, you know, if they did achieve what they set out to achieve this season, that it wouldn't be let's just try and scrape and stay there. He'd be almost a bit like Norwich, but they're sort of the the opposite of in that they're sticking to their guns but they might end up getting relegated because of it but that is the risk but they aren't going to change 
the way that they play football and the way that it sets out. And you'd argue that, I can't remember who it was, was whining on Twitter after the Manchester derby, the League One semi-final first leg, but essentially saying that Leeds have more of an identity and more of a plan than Manchester United at this current moment in time. And they're a division below, but if you stick to that plan, you have to believe in it. And that's what they've done with Bielsa. And I don't see that changing if they did go up. I, w- I was asked on Monday night by an, an unnamed broadcaster um, if they got to the Premier League, how do you think they'd do? And we'll just we will finish on this point and, and not drag it out any any longer. But I think they'd do just fine. Like as it, I think they'll need work. If they get promoted, they will need investment in the squad. They absolutely will. They'll probably need to spend at least what Sheffield United spent, if not more. But with the structure they have, with the head coach they have, with some of the players they have, with his philosophy, with the size of the club, I think they'll do just fine. Yeah, I but, agree. But, but let's wait and see if they can actually get so the, there first. That, that, that's what we go back to with the desperation aspect of, of Ellen Road and throwing away leads and goals and whatever else, is that the carrot at the end of the tunnel hey, hey um, is so big that that will then be relieved if that goal is achieved and I think it will then allow them to go and do whatever they want without that external pressure of 16 years of desperation of being back in the top flight but then you've got now got four or five these players now have four or five months to to basically put their name down in the history of this football club and achieve something that a lot of people and a lot of managers and a lot of other players have failed to achieve and donors well said Thank you very much for joining us. This has been episode 75 of the Inside Ellen Road podcast from the YEP and we will be back soon, we promise.